The story is told of an elderly woman who walked into a local church. It says the, uh, she was greeted by a friendly usher at the door and helped up a flight of stairs where she was shown the sanctuary and said, where would you like to sit, ma'am? And she said, I'd like to sit in the front row, please. Hesitantly, the usher said, well, you might not want to do that. And she said, well, why not? Said, well, to be honest with you, the, the pastor can be kind of boring sometimes. And so the woman looked at him and said, well, do you, do you happen to know who I am? And he said, no. And she said, well, indignantly, she said, I'm the pastor's mother. <laughs> and he looked at her and said, well, do, do you happen to know who I am? And she said, no, I don't. He said, good, as he slipped quietly into the crowd. <laughs> you know, the, the point of the story is it's, it's certainly not, you know, not difficult to find ways of offending one another. You know, Francis Schaeffer, by all biblical definitions, who was truly a servant, was asked to respond to the ongoing debate among the disciples as to who, who would be the greatest among them. And he responded to this debate by saying this. He said, people in the world naturally want to boss others. Imagine a boy beginning with a firm. He's ordered around by everybody. Do this, do that. He's the last man on the totem pole. One day when the boss is out, he goes into the boss's office, sits down behind his desk, and says out loud, one day I'll be in this position. And when I say do this, they'll do it. When I say run, they'll run. This is man. And let us say with tears that a person does not automatically abandon this mentality when he becomes a Christian. There remains a seed within us <clears throat> that wants to be boss, that wants to be served or waited upon, a word of power in us that will keep us above the others. And this is the struggle that we find ourselves in as we study Jesus' command to serve one another. Another man writes, our greatest battles are not with God, for Christ settled all those battles. Our greatest battles are with one another. Years ago, I had a, a good friend that, you know, when we went into some of the southern towns, specifically Atlanta, he was the uh, chaplain to the Atlanta Falcons. And there's nothing like listening to a southern man preach. And uh, there's just something about it that is just... It just kind of, it just summarizes everything with such clarity. But he had a saying, and this is what he used to say. To dwell above with saints we love, that'll be grace and glory. To live below with saints we know, oh, that's another story. <laughs> and I like that. It's just that theology is just right there. You know, and the poem says it all as we daily wrestle with, you know, with one another and the differences that so easily divide us. You know, even Christians have to deal with these differences. Uh, today, as we continue in our examination of what it means to be a servant of others, um, I, I, I want to bring to mind Mark chapter 10, verse 45. And it's a passage that I want, you know, that one verse, uh, us to commit to memory. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. How many of you have memorized it, committed it to memory? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Next week, when we get together, we're gonna go ahead and do that together because I want this to be committed to memory uh, because it, it will change your life if you understand the principle that is involved. Even God himself didn't come to be served, but he came to serve, and he came to give his life a ransom for many. You know, forgiveness is not an elective in the curriculum of servanthood. In fact, it's a required course, and the exams are always tough to pass. And if we're going to be like Jesus, as you recall from the first time that we got together to serve, you know, to, 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 uh, to serve with love, we recognize that if we're gonna be conformed into the image of his son, that we must become servants as he is, to serve and to give. And as we go through this, we'll recognize the importance of it. You know, from the Bible, we learn that a genuine servant forgives. And that'll be the focal point 
of our message today. Several years ago, I had the um, privilege of working for a company. I don't know if it was a privilege. I'll, I'll call it a privilege. But, but I, I, I happened to be working for a company that was bought by a major oil, an oil, bought by a major oil company. And at the time, we were thrust into the corporate world, and that was a lot different than the world that, that I was used to, and, uh, you know, and the size of the business, and just all that went along with it, and then you had people who specialized in things that it was, like, I mean, that's what you get paid to do. You specialize in this one thing. Well, I met a guy from HR, which was something else I learned, HR. What's HR? Human, human resources, you know, in this particular department that his job was to resolve conflict. That's all that he did. He worked in the HR department, and his job was to resolve conflict. Conflict between management and staff, conflict between department heads, conflict between divisions, uh, subsidiaries, customers, uh, conflict between employees. I mean, his whole job was to focus on resolving conflict. And I asked him one day, as we were having lunch, I said, well, what's the number one way to resolve conflict? And he said, without any hesitation whatsoever, without thinking about it, he said, forgiveness. Can you imagine that? I mean, here's a guy, the greatest difficulty he had was challenging people to give up their bitterness and their resentment and to give and receive forgiveness. He said people were hurt, sometimes deliberately, but most often it was due to misunderstanding or a lack of communication. This man wasn't even a believer, but he understood the reconciling power of forgiveness. And what he went on to talk about was the majority of times people were hurt um, without even knowing it, that we offend one another or hurt one another and didn't even know that we did that in the process. It was kind of like unknown to us that what we said or what we did actually offended somebody else or hurt somebody else's feelings. And I'll give you a good example of, of, of how this could happen. Several years ago, my, my wife and I and our family entertained a group of Japanese exchange students. And um, they didn't speak any English and we didn't speak any Japanese. And so we, we walked around the house going like this a lot. <laughs> so I, I don't know what message that conveyed, but you know, it was a smile and you know, and you can't go wrong smiling. So, but um, but one, one, of the, one of the deals was that with them staying with us, they had to go to the Bible study or a church as part of the cultural experience. So they would get up and they would go to church with us, specifically to the, this Bible study that I happened to be teaching at, a time, at that time. And, uh, and, and, and the gal who was the chaperone, she read to them, she said, you know, you're going to go hear um, Chuck, she called me Chuck, she said, you're going to go hear Chuck do, uh, speak at his Bible study, and he's a model teacher with a warm delivery, and you'll really enjoy your time. And I thought... That's so nice. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, I mean, that was very nice of her. And so, and, and then the, these three gals, they go running into the room and they're giggling. And then they're looking at, you know, and, and they get their Japanese to English dictionary out. And I see, you know, and I see them going through it and, and that, you know, and they're just cracking up laughing. And they're just, and they're laughing hard. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what could have been so funny about that? I said, well, well here, it says, uh, he's a model teacher. And in Japanese to English, model means a smaller imitation of the real thing. <laughs> so they thought that was cute. And then, and it's a, a warm delivery. Warm means not too hot. <laughs> and so they laughed all the way to the car recognizing that I was a not-too-hot, smaller imitation of the real thing. And I like that, you know, because it kind of kept me humble, but at the same time, it makes you, you know, it's like, kind of like, well, that's offensive. 
you know, you, you offended me. And, you know, and we offend one another, and we don't even recognize it or realize that we've done it because communication is so important to listen to words, to listen to what is being said. And, you know, and forgiveness, and part of forgiveness is understanding, well, what was said and where are we now? We had another <laughs> interesting experience. This young man was from Germany. And my sister lives in uh, Maryland at the time, and she volunteered our home um, <laughs> as, a, as, a good, as a good base of operation to visit Disneyland for this young guy. And he was about the same age as our son at the time, about 17, I think, somewhere around high school, 16, 17. And, uh, and so he, he came to visit. And so we looked for him, Christoph was his name. We looked for him at the airport and we picked him up and he came to visit and stay with us. And, and he had, you know, a, a fun time, I'm sure. And one particular day stands out more than any other day that I can remember with him being with us. But he came and he spent the day and I think they went to the movies together and they had, you know, popcorn and all the junk that you can eat there. And then they went to a local Mexican restaurant, you know, to get the flavor of Southern California, the feel for what it's like. And so during the middle of the night, I hear a, a funny noise. I've, I've recognized the noise. Three children prior to this, I, I, I've heard the noise. It goes something like this. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> and I looked over, and, and by this time in our marriage, my wife and I had worked out the reality that she would never get up to take care of that type of thing. <laughs> we somehow worked that out. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. <laughs> but it would, I, I, it would just cause her to gag herself. And so to, to eliminate her from gagging, I would take responsibility for this. So I went into the room, the guest room, and here he was sitting on the corner of the bed, just kind of like this. <laughs> Not looking too good. And I said, Christoph, are you okay? <laughs> and... and uh, he goes, no, sour stomach, sour stomach, okay. Christoph, did you make it to the restroom okay? He goes, second time. <laughs> See, you picked second time. See, words mean something. I said, second time? What do you mean second time? And he went and he pointed over to this big pile of stuff, <laughs> which used to be known as sheets and blankets in the, in, the, in, the, in the corner of the room. And I went, oh, how did my wife do this? But the point of the matter is, is that communication is so important. And listening to words and listening to things that are said you know, when Billy Graham conducted a crusade a few years ago, a group of 20 respected psychologists were sent to listen to his sermons and write up their criticism for their local newspapers. When Dr. Graham called on people to repent and receive God's forgiveness, his admonitions were psychologically sound. The director of a mental institute, Knoxville, Tennessee, said 50% of the patients in his institution could go home if they knew and believed that they had been forgiven for their offenses. The inability to forgive destroys the foundation and intimacy of any relationship. Stored up grudges and resentment, bitterness, if left unconfronted and unresolved, you know, affect the unity of the body of Christ. And they'll dull the cutting edge of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's important, critically important for us to understand as we grow as a church that there's nothing more important than to be able to offer forgiveness, to receive it and to offer it and to accept it. 
because we will, over the course of time, we will hurt one another. Most of the time, unintentionally. Most of the time, just because we're people who make mistakes. And we've gotta be very careful not to assess motive to people as they hurt us in some way, that we don't play God and try to guess what it is that was on their hearts or why they said what they said or did what they did. And we've gotta be very careful about that. You know, we all need forgiveness, and forgiveness is the oil of relationships. It reduces the natural friction uh, and tension that's be that, that, that you'll find between people. Now, it's a huge subject, and obviously, it's necessary that we limit our thoughts. In this particular study, I'm gonna limit them to horizontal uh, forgiveness, which is forgiveness between one another, people and people. Uh, but it's also important to recognize and understand the need for vertical forgiveness. And that is, you know, instead of ignoring the vertical altogether, I need to explain its significance, you know, because it's God's forgiveness of us that makes possible our forgiveness of others. Let me repeat that. It's God's forgiveness of us that makes possible our forgiving others. When the penalty of sin was paid in full by Jesus Christ on the cross, when God's wrath was expressed against him, the one who took our place, God was satisfied with the sacrifice, allowing all who would trust and turn to him in faith and trust in Jesus to be totally and completely once and for all forgiven. The Bible says it's by grace through faith and not of ourselves. It's a free gift of God so that none of us could ever boast. Christ's blood washed away our sin. That's the teaching of scripture. And from the moment we believe upon him that we, st we stand forgiven, relieved of our guilt before a satisfied God. And it isn't long before anyone who you know, gets it you know, and wants to be a servant understands that we need to come to grips with forgiving one another. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter four and just look at verse 31 as we look at the standard that's laid out for forgiving one another. It's a beautiful summation of the whole subject of forgiveness. It describes how to live with a clear conscience and to be free to serve before God. In Ephesians, we see in, in chapter four, Look at verse 31. Actually, it even starts before that when we look at verse 29 when it talks about unwholesome words. When you think about the unwholesome words that come out of our mouth, it says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, which means to build up or, or to, to raise up the countenance of another person according to the need of the moment. In that particular moment in time, this person needs to hear this grace, that it may give grace to those who hear. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God for whom, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now notice, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And notice, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Kind, tender-hearted. Tender-hearted, not hard-hearted. And we're gonna see an example of being hard-hearted in the passages that we're gonna look at yet uh, this morning. But you know, the, to be kind and tender-hearted, to understand that there's only two ways uh, or two roads that lead to the possibility of forgiveness. Now, to ask yourself the question, and I'll ask it, how, how many of you have ever been offended by somebody? <laughs> hey, okay. Now, let me ask you a question. How, how many of you have ever offended another person? How many, of you how many of you have offended another person on purpose? Ah, 
Oh yeah, look at that, look at that sinister smiles, that little, that little snicker that's there. It's kind of like, you know, it's like there's, you know, when you think about it, there's only two possibilities. It's either we're the offender, meaning we have offended somebody, and sometimes we do it on purpose. You know why? Because you just get on my nerves. <laughs> you, just, you just rub me the wrong way. And you know what? And it's time to get back at you. And so we deliberately offend somebody. Now, there are other times where you kind of go, I offended you? Why did I offend you? What did I say? What did I do? How, I mean, how, how in the world were, were you offended by that? I don't, I don't understand that. It's like, you know, we, we have been there. I've been there. You know, you can't be married 30 years without understanding that principle that I just laid out. I offended you? What, what did I do? You know, how many, we've, we've all been there. How many of you are married and have been there and experienced this? Amen. <laughs> just everything. Not gonna get specific, just you've experienced everything. Just, yes, I have experienced that. Whatever you're going to say, I've experienced it. I don't know what I did. I don't know what I did. You've been there, right? So, I mean, it's like, what did you do? And you kind of go, I don't know. We've all been there. It's like, I, I don't know what I did. And then, we've all heard this. Well, if you don't know by now. <laughs> I'm not telling you. 30 years. Please tell me. Because here's my attitude. Fellas, is this not correct? If you don't know by then, if I don't know by 30 years of being married what it is that I do that upsets her when she gets upset and I don't even know I've upset her, she better tell me because I am not figuring it out. <laughs> Slow, slow, it's like slow, I, it's just not coming. And now I got like these chemo drugs and stuff. It's like, I don't know if it'll ever come. It's like, you know, I don't know, I don't know. What do, what do I do? What did I say? I don't know. But you know, the wonderful thing about God's word, turn to Matthew chapter five, is that God's word brings clarity when we're all confused. You should know this by now. Well, I don't. So when I've offended someone, whether intentional or I hear that I've offended somebody, here is what we're supposed to do. Matthew chapter five. If we're gonna be servants of God, look at verse 23. If therefore you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar, go your way, First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Okay, so what's the scene? Today, then it would be, you know, we got this Jewish person who's at the temple who goes in to worship God, and would say today it's, it's a Sunday morning service. We've come to worship God, and you're presenting your offering, so to speak, at the altar. You're getting your heart right before God. You want to be able to come and worship him and praise him and to, just to lay out before him in humility. And as you're going through this process, this, this inventory process, this self-evaluation, it, it comes to your attention that there's somebody that you have harmed in the process. Someone along the line you've offended. And boy, as clear as clear can be, their face just jumps out before you. And if it's not their face, it's their name. And the question is, what are we supposed to do? And the Bible says that if you are the offender, whether deliberate or, 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 or not so, we are told that we are to stop everything that we're doing. We're just to stop. We're to stop doing what we're doing. We're to stop pretending that there isn't this rift that's there. We're to stop pretending that there's not this, um, uh, this, this turmoil that's there. We're to stop 
and take a good hard look at what it is that God is trying to teach us. What is it that I've done? What is it that I should do? We're to stop pretending it'll go away or hoping that it'll go away. The Bible says if you're presenting your offering at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, you know, stop, stop what you're doing. Leave your offering there before the altar. Then it says go your way, meaning you go take care of business the way that you need to take care of business before God. The one thing I love about my relationship with the Lord, it's so individual. There are things that are true of all of us collectively, certainly as a body of believers, but there are also things that God deals with me on on a personal level that will never have anything to do with you and your relationship with God. And he's saying, Chuck, you know, like, like John and Peter, but what about that guy? Don't worry about that guy. I got plans for him, I got plans for you. You come and follow me. You be obedient to me. You don't worry about him. I'll take care of him. And so as we gather together collectively, there's no doubt in my mind that as you sit here, as I stand here, that this passage is applicable to someone here today. There is a hurt that needs to be dealt with. There is resentment, there is bitterness, there is anger, and the Bible says that you are to no longer ignore it, but you are to go to this person, preferably in person. And one of the things that I'm learning from uh, correspondence and communication is that I'm learning to appreciate and at the same time have a genuine disdain for email. And let me explain what I mean. I appreciate getting feedback from people. It's a quick you know, way to be able to communicate. The disdain that I have is, is that it creates miscommunication and that so often it doesn't convey body language, it doesn't convey uh, if it's a joke, it doesn't convey uh, feelings or sentiment. It becomes very cut and dried. And it leaves or allows for room to read into things that really don't exist and are not there. And so the reason I bring that up is I think it's important that if there are differences among us, that those differences are addressed face to face, if at all humanly possible. Now, I realize that you know, we live in a day and age where people are scattered and they live all over the place, but I would, I would encourage you that if you still have access to that person who you know has something against you, uh, that you try your best to deal with that person face to face because it eliminates some of this confusion that we see that happens on a regular basis because communication is so critical as we've already seen. So the purpose is that you're to go. You know, and, and if you can't go in person, uh, go by phone, go by email, go by letter, go, but, but go. You know, do what it is that God would have you do. Well, you, you say, well, Chuck, what am I supposed to do when I see this person? Well, the Bible says that you are to go on your way and be reconciled, and it's a command. The, world be, the, the word be reconciled is, you know, do not, you know, do not be angry um, or be reconciled. In this particular case, meaning, you know what, uh, ha, try to bring about a change of heart and a change of direction and a change of attitude and a change of thought and a, and a change of, of, of uh, placement. Try to work things out so that when you leave, there's peace among the brethren, that's the goal. The goal is to alter or to change from an enmity to a friendship. To go from being at odds with one another to at least some form of agreement. Now I recognize that we will never always agree with one another. But we can disagree agreeably. And that is so important for God's people.
we can disagree agreeably, and we can go about taking an enemy and turning an enemy into a friend. Is there someone that has something against you? And you know about it, but you just don't want to deal with it. God says be obedient. Get it taken care of. The smallest of things, there's no such thing because it'll grow. Resentment and bitterness and anger will grow. Don't let it slide. Take care of it. Commit to taking care of it. And now the wonderful thing about it is this. Once that's resolved, then notice this. And then come again and present your offering. And then return. Go back to the Lord and return to your business of serving him and doing what he's called you to do. There's nothing that'll hold us up more so than having unfinished business. Get it done before God. And then you can return and serve him and fulfill his desires for your life. You know, those works that he has prepared for you and I to do before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 2.10. Get it done, get it resolved. And you know what? It requires humility. But we already learned that to be a servant, we've got to be humble. It requires humility. You know, to say to somebody, I'm sorry. I didn't know that I hurt your feelings. It wasn't intentional. It wasn't something that I meant to do. I, I didn't do it on purpose. But if it hurts you, then I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? Man, those are awesome words. And to have somebody say, yes, I will. Because it requires humility to say, I'll forgive you. Because you've already made up your mind to blame that person for all the problems that you have in your life. So you're stuck. Now it's like, who are you going to blame? You got no one else to blame. So now it all comes down to, you know what? It's all me. And so the, the logical question is, you know, but what if this person won't forgive me? Well, you know what? It's, it's important that we remember I'm responsible to do what is right before God, and so are you. You can go to that person, and you can say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt you, and they can say, you know what? <laughs> On you. Could care less. Will you forgive me? No way. You did it on purpose, I don't care what you say, I don't care what you're trying to tell me, you did it on purpose, and I'm gonna hold a grudge against you the rest of my life. And we're gonna talk about that in a minute. But you know, the bottom line is this, you're freed up because you did what God called you to do, and you can go on serving the Lord. You can forget what lies behind, and you can press on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You can move forward in your walk with the Lord. So I would just encourage you to do what's right before God. And don't forget, depending upon the wound, that's, you know, there, there's a healing period. You know, dealing with athletes for a long time, and, and it's particularly in dealing with injuries and things like that, I've just learned that, you know what, certain injuries take a long time to heal from. You know, it's like a six-month rehab or eight-month rehab or 12-month rehab. And, you know, there are rehabs that guys know as soon as they blow out their ACL or whatever, it's like, here's what you got ahead of you. And there's no ifs, ands, buts about it. You're not going to get around it. This is what you're going to have to do if you're going to recover from that wound. And, and it takes a committed person to recover from that type of injury. And so it takes a person in a relationship who says, you know what, I've been hurt deeply but, but it's worth it. But it's worth it. Reconciliation is always worth it. Whatever price I've got to pay, no matter how much I must humble myself under the mighty hand of God, I know he'll exalt me at the proper time. And you know what? And it's wor worth it. Now, the second thing is this. What if you've been offended? Now you're talking now, see, now we're all like, now you're talking. Let's talk about that because, you know, every one of us have been offended. You know, before examining Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35, you know, I, I, I like to make the following statement as, 
you know, as, as sensitively as is possible. And, and that's this. When you're offended or I'm offended, there are times in life where we just need to get over it. Let me repeat that. There are going to be times in your life where you're going to be offended, where I'm going to be offended. And you know what my counsel is very simple? Get over it. I mean, seriously, just get over it. Sit around whining about it and feeling sorry for yourself and, you know, and thinking that it's all about you. Sometimes we just need to stop being so sensitive that we didn't get our own way and realize that, you know what, the world doesn't revolve around us. It's not always going to be about us. There's a bigger picture out there. There are more people involved than just you. And sometimes we need to take a step back and say, you know what, is this in the best interest of the overall body of Christ? Not is this in my best interest, because the world we live in, you know, that promotes that all the time. But if you're going to serve and to give, we need to develop a new mindset. And that mindset says this, is this in the best interest of everybody? Not just me. I know what's in my best interest, but is this in your best interest? And if you think about what Scripture teaches us, that's to have this attitude in yourself that was also in Christ Jesus. And that attitude is that we consider one another more important than ourselves. That it's more important that my wife understands that she's first in my life, that my children understand that they're first in my life, that my grandchildren understand that they're first. Obviously, the Lord is first in my life, but it's important for them to understand that, you know what, that we're not selfish people, that we have your best interest at heart, that I'm not a selfish leader or pastor, that I have the best interest of everyone. And I have to have that because we could be influenced by one or two people and it's not in the best interest of the body of Christ as a whole. We need to take a good hard look at ourselves sometimes and say, you know what, Lord? Am I just a plain old selfish person? Do I have to have my way all the time? When I look in the mirror, is it always about me? Sometimes, you know what, just get over it and move on and recognize that, you know what, no, it's not always about you. And in fact, in this particular case, it's not about you at all. You never came up in the conversation. As much as that will just destroy your self-esteem, you never came up in the conversation. And that's a wonderful thing. So let's take a look at these four, uh, basically four principles that we're going to learn as we go through this as they relate to when we're the one who's offended. Let's take a look. First of all, Matthew chapter 18. Turn with me to Matthew 18, and we'll take a look at, recognize the fact, as we look at this whole idea of forgiveness, recognize the fact that we will have an unlimited number of opportunities to forgive one another. And we find that in Matthew chapter 18 in verses 21 and 22. It says, Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I don't say to, I don't say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, Peter was like many of us. We like parameters. How many times do I have to keep forgiving this person who keeps hurting me? You know, I don't know how many times I've heard that uh, in the course of uh, marital counseling. You know, how many times do I get to put up with the same thing over and over and over and over again? It's been going on now for 5, 10, 20 40, 60 years now, how long do I got to put up with it? 
And that's what Peter's looking for. He's looking for an out. It's like, you know, give me a number. It's the same reason that people want to know, do, do we tithe on the gross or on the net? <laughs> it's the same reason. It's like, we're not, looking, we're not looking for an answer so we can give more. We're looking so we can find how to give less. Peter's not looking for an answer on how, you know what, I want to forgive more. Lord, more. I want to forgive more. How many times do I got to, oh, just tell me a whole bunch because I'm willing to forgive a whole bunch of times. How about seven? (laughs) Wow. You really tipped the scale there, buddy. Seven. Hey, I got an idea for you. How about 70 times seven or unlimited number of times? You are going to have an unlimited number of times to forgive other people because other people are going to hurt you. Oh, that's just kind of a a bummer. You know, we don't want to hear that, but it's just the way that it is. And you know what? And And let me just share this with you. I am so grateful that God hasn't put a limitation on how many times he will forgive me. And that's the story that he tells. That's why he says, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents, which is just like, I don't know, 12 million bucks. But since he didn't have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife, his children, all that he had, and repayment to be made. The slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. Well, obviously, that wasn't going to happen, and he knew that, but hey, he's struggling right at this point. Hey, don't, hey, be patient, I'll pay you 12 million bucks. Yeah, right, we're going to get 12 million dollars. That's not going to happen. It says, but the, and, and notice this, and the Lord of that slave felt compassion for him. He said he felt compassion and released him and forgave him his debt. You know, realize that forgiving is possible only as a response to the grace of God, that he had compassion. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. that he had compassion. He chose to have compassion. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And when you were dead in your transgressions and and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Don't you love that? And he has taken it all away, having nailed it to the cross. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famed London pastor, wrote these words, whenever I see myself before God, and realize what my blessed Lord has done for me at Calvary, I'm ready to forgive anyone or anything. I cannot withhold it, and I don't even want to try. Without the vertical, we won't have the power nor the motivation to forgive horizontally. So the question that I have for you is this. Have you come to a point where you have trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you come to the point where you have become broken, knowing that, you know what, without God's grace and mercy in my life, I don't have a prayer. The Bible says that we're to repent, that we're to believe upon him, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to believe that he died for our sins. We're to recognize that we're going to have unlimited numbers of opportunities to forgive others. We're to realize that forgiveness is possible only as a response to the grace of God, just as giving is only possible as a response to the grace of God. And then we also need to resist the temptation to be hypocritical, 
to resist the temptation to be hypocritical. Notice this in verse 28. But after the slave found compassion and forgiveness and was released of his debt, it says, but the slave went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, which is like pennies. And he seized him and he began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell down and began to beg him and treat him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay. And he was unwilling, however, but he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. I want you to just notice the word unwilling. The reason that you and I do not forgive others is because we are unwilling, period. We have the capacity. Christ within us, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have the capacity to forgive, to not take into account a wrong suffered, 1 Corinthians 13, that's supernatural love, that's God's love, it's agape love, right? We have the capacity to forgive. God has given it to us, it's supernatural. The only reason that we don't forgive is because we are unwilling. And as soon as we can grasp that, then we're gonna go a long way towards reconciling relationships that we thought it was impossible to reconcile. Relationships you thought were dead, 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 dead. God can bring life, breathe life into them again. But you have to be willing. And in closing, if you're not willing, look at verses 34 and 35. Man, let's break your heart. It says, and his Lord moved with anger because he found out that the slave was unwilling to forgive. Moved with anger. Handed him over to the torturers. To the torturers. Until he should repay all that was owed. And he says, so shall my heavenly father also do to you. If you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Don't miss this. Handed him over to the torturers. Some of us are living tortured lives. The word is used in extra biblical writings, talking about being oppressed from the outside. Meaning that, you know, we're, we're so oppressed and we're like, we're strangled, we're smothering, we're suffocating. And we're really suffocating ourselves. It's like we're strangling ourselves because we're unwilling to forgive others who have offended us. And so we're, we're slowly killing ourselves. And he said that that's what God does when his people are unwilling to forgive. Turns them over to the torturers so they can strangle themselves on their own hatred and resentment and bitterness and anger. Are you here today smothering yourself, strangling yourself, really hating yourself because you're unwilling to forgive, let, let it go. Go. You know, stop everything and go and reconcile and then come back and serve God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. In closing, there was a little boy who was visiting his grandparents on their farm. He was given a slingshot to play with out in the woods, and he practiced in the woods, but he could never hit a target. He says he was getting a little discouraged, and he headed back for dinner, and as he was walking back, he saw grandma's pet duck, a sitting duck. <laughs> Just out of impulse, he let the slingshot fly, hit the duck square in the head, killed it right on the spot. He was shocked and he was grieved. And in a panic, he hid the dead duck in a woodpile only to see his sister watching. She had seen it all, 
but she said nothing. After lunch, the next day, Grandma said, Sally, let's wash the dishes together. But Sally said, hey, Grandma, Johnny told me he really wanted to help around the kitchen. <laughs> then she whispered in his ear, remember the duck? <laughs> so Johnny did the dishes. Later that day, Grandpa asked if the kids wanted to go fishing, and, Grandpa, and Grandma said, I'm sorry, but I really need Sally to help make supper. Sally smiled and said, well, that's all right, because Johnny told me he wanted to help make supper tonight. She whispered again, hey, remember the duck? So Sally went fishing, and Johnny stayed home to help. After several days of doing both his chores and Sally's, he couldn't stand it any longer, and he went to Grandma, and he confessed that he had killed her duck. Grandma knelt down, gave him a hug, and said, sweetheart, I know that. I, I was standing at the window, and I saw the whole thing. Because, but because, because of you, because I love you, I forgave you. I was just wondering how long you'd let Sally make you a slave. You know, and I thought about that, and it's like, you know, think about that. Every day thereafter, whatever is in your past, whatever you've done, the devil keeps throwing it up in your face. You're a liar. You're afraid. You hate people. You're filled with anger and resentment, unforgiveness and bitterness. Remember your immorality, your drug abuse. Remember your abortions. Remember all these things that you did wrong before God. See, you need to know that God was standing at the window and he saw the whole thing just as he's seen your whole life. He wants you to know that he loves you and that he's forgiven you as you have asked and sought his forgiveness. The great thing about God is that when you ask for forgiveness, he not only forgives you, but he forgets. And that's what we're gonna talk about next time. A genuine servant not only forgives, but a genuine servant chooses to forget. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to be together. We thank you that you have forgiven us who have come to you and sought out your forgiveness. Lord, we just pray that as we continue to fall short of your standard and your glory, that you would continue to offer forgiveness to those who seek it. When we're faithless, you're faithful. You are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. I pray right now that if there are those who have brought came here today and they're suffocating themselves, strangling themselves with their own resentment and anger and bitterness, that they've been turned over to the torturers, that today would be the day that they would find freedom, that they would realize that you saw from the window and that you have forgiven them as they sought out your forgiveness. God, we thank you that you not only forgive, but you forget, and we look forward to learning what that's all about. In Christ's name, amen.